Hello and welcome to Sustain, the podcast where we talk about sustaining open source for the long haul. Who are we? Where are we going? Where do we come from? Why is the other side of the world so hard to deal with time zones? Very excited to have our guests on today. I'm Richard Litauer as your normal host. Hello, everyone. And this is part of Maintainer Month in collaboration with GitHub. We are interviewing maintainers to talk to them about their experience of open source and their experience of living as maintainers and what that means. My guest today is Russell Keith McGee calling in from Perth, Australia. Russell, thank you so much. How are you doing today? My very great pleasure to be here. It's my great pleasure to have you. Russell is a doctor. So Dr. Russell Keith McGee of the PhD type. Uh, He's the founder of the Beware Project, which is a project developing GUI tools and libraries to support the development of Python on desktop and mobile. He also joined the Django core team in 2006 and for five years was president of the Django Software Foundation. Frequent speaker at Python, Django conferences, sharing his experience as a Floss developer, community maintainer, and unsuccessful startup founder. Although you seem to be alive, so whatever you did kind of worked for a while. So it, Yeah, it kept food on the table for long enough. I'm no longer driving the gold-plated Lamborghini I dreamed of, so... I know, me neither. Me neither. I crashed it. It was horrible. In his day job, he's a principal engineer at Anaconda, working on Beware in the OSS team. So, Dr. Keith McGee, that is quite a lot. So there's a lot of different projects in there. Do you spend more time on Beware or Anaconda? I work at Anaconda. Like Anaconda is a commercial organization that has a product and what have you. I don't spend any of my time working on Anaconda's products per se. I am on part of the open source team. Anaconda is a big part of the Python ecosystem who produce a bunch of tools that they sell commercially into particularly the big end of town, the Fortune 500 types, but across the entire sort of gamut of Python users. But they recognize that the Python ecosystem is only successful because of the open source component of it. And in particular, their ability to sell something commercially is only as healthy as the health of the open source pieces that they are building on top of. And so Anaconda as a company has an open source group whose sole responsibility is keeping the lights on for the little bits of infrastructure and bits of projects that aren't going to get maintained on weekends and spare time and whatnot that actually require dedicated resources and dedicated effort to either develop them initially or maintain them long term. In my case, I founded the Beware Project about nine years ago. And just over a year ago, I started working at Anaconda full-time And literally my day job is 100% make Beware better because Anaconda is looking at Python as an ecosystem. Python doesn't currently have a good story for iOS and Android development and other new platforms that are emerging. And they have basically said, okay, we need to fix that. Let's put some resources into someone who is into a project that is looking to fix it, that is looking to develop that capability. I'm curious, how many people are on Anaconda's payroll? The entire company, I think, is running into a couple of hundred at this point. Got it. I'm actually not completely certain, but the open source team is only a small part of that. And there are two full-time employees working on Beware itself. That's really cool. Anaconda itself is also has open source offerings as well, right? Yeah, Anaconda itself is a commercial product that is kind of a commercial spin on the Conda package manager, Got it. which is yep. one of the open source projects that Anaconda helps to maintain, although Anaconda as a package manager is an independent project in itself that has its own governance and maintenance. It's just Anaconda is a commercial vendor that uses it, extends it, and helps drive it. 
Thank you for that really important context. It helps me. Detroit, what's going on? Beware, you said you started it nine years ago. Tell me about the process of going from first line of code to having someone else pay you for it. It all sort of starts with a dream and the question, how hard could it be, I guess? I started a very long time ago. Like you mentioned, the startup was sort of two prongs that happened in parallel. One, I was running a startup. I come from the Django community. I used to be fairly prominent in the Django community. And I had a startup that was a web-based startup. And the website was great, but the market segment we're in, we really needed a mobile app. Mobile phones were really just starting to become a big thing. And we were in a segment that really did need to have that mobile phone angle. I had a huge body of code and I was a one-man engineering team. I couldn't afford to write an Android app and an iOS app, just didn't have the resources. And I also had this large body of Python code with all of the validation logic and business models and all that kind of thing that I wanted to reuse and realized I couldn't. And so it was kind of this, well, why can't I? What is preventing me from using Python on this phone? The other side of it was kind of a more of a spare time thing of, I grew up in the late 80s, early 90s with the Ball and Pascal, Ball and, Ball and C type compilers and had this really good development environment with a really simple but really effective debugger. And the IDEs of today seem to be a lot more complicated And I didn't want to use a whole IDE. I just wanted a debugger. I wanted a graphical debugger that wasn't GDB. It's not this bare bones, one line at a time debugger. I want to be able to see the context of the code in the context of the code that I'm running and step through debugging. And it was kind of a, well, how hard could it be? Surely I can write one of those. And like through a series of good decisions, bad decisions, I'm not sure. I decided that the easiest way I needed widget toolkits that were available were not going to meet my requirements for writing it in Python, making it easy to install. But the world doesn't need yet another GUI toolkit. So how do I make this GUI toolkit mean something? Oh, what if I made it mobile as well? Can I write a GUI toolkit that is cross-platform and does all the desktop platforms and does mobile? There's the Genesis story that's sort of these two little pieces. of pieces, And it just kind of was tinkering away desperately, eking away bits of time to try and make it work at all. You get a proof of concept working and you show it to someone and they say, oh, well, that's exciting, which gives you a little bit more enthusiasm and what have you. I managed to structure the early days of the project in such a way that it was very easy to chip out very small tasks that a first-time contributor could do and contribute to the project. And then kind of threw a little bit of my own money into it to incentivize. We got made some challenge coins, little, uh, little one and a half inch challenge coins that we would give out to anyone who made a contribution. And that kind of then built a bit more momentum, sort of build that flywheel of people being enthusiastic about the project, people wanting to contribute to the project. And bit by bit, the project got more and more mature. And for eight years out of, well, the nine that were basically, I've been working on it, there have been other contributors. I don't want to, for a second, to underestimate the massive contribution that other people have made over the years, but it has been primarily my sort of work keeping it going. Until I sort of I presented, I was a keynote speaker at PyCon US in 2019, and I kind of baited the community to say, "Well, this iOS and mobile thing, iOS and Android aren't going away. What is Python's story for this? Someone needs to actually fund this development because it's not going to happen on weekends." And it took a little bit longer, but eventually, sort of Anaconda took the bait, I guess, and a year ago, sort of called my bluff and said, "Well, okay, you want to do it? You seem to be someone who's looking at this. How about you go do it?" I love that. So you had an idea, you started, got the proof of concept, and then you went out and made a reason for it. You said, this needs to happen. Who else is going to do that? Tell me about what the pitch was like. Was that just say, email me if you want to talk about funding me? Or did you 
have to like work on how much funds would it take? How did that happen? So I've been a prominent speaker at Python conferences for a while. And I have used that platform on a number of occasions to say, open source has a funding problem. There are big problems that don't get solved unless you've got someone working on them full time. And so I kind of got a little bit of a reputation of in that Python community of being someone who spoke about open source maintenance and open source development as something that needs to be looked at. Around the 2019 period, the PSF, the Python Software Foundation, did put out sort of grant applications and said, hey, we're looking for people to submit big ideas, big projects, and Beware as a project actually did apply for and received one of those grants specifically to do some work on Android. So that was a bit of a scoped project to say, we want to do this one specific thing to improve the Android development. I ended up not doing the work, not the day-to-day engineering work, because I had a day job and needed to keep doing that day job. I couldn't just take a short-term contract. So I sort of managed the open source contributions of someone who was being paid to work on open source. But then when it came to sort of being picked up by Anaconda, it was the hiring process was, uh, okay, so how far off do you think we are from having a viable solution? How many years do we need to fund you before, not so much that Anaconda is going to be able to sell this, but you know, be- before we're going to be able to tell our customers that there is a viable solution and yes, you can just throw this at your data team and they can build their mobile app or whatever it is they want to do. So it has never been completely fine grain. You know, here's the tear down, burn down chart of exactly what the milestone goals are going to be week by week for the next five years or whatever. But there has been a number of short term, this is how much work needs to be done to get this particular milestone and slightly longer term, how many person months, person years are we looking at before we get to a point of viability? So one of the things that's cool about you is that you're not just a maintainer, but you're also the author. Did you have a big emotional shift to becoming someone who's just maintaining this project and keeping it going as opposed to someone who just started at the beginning and had a lot of fun tinkering around building the proof of concept? Was that a hard thing to change into? Not really. Like I tend not to be someone who tinkers just for their own entertainment. Part of the joy for me is seeing other people use my stuff and seeing other people not just use it, but actually want to help contribute to make it better is part of the buzz for me. Like I got my start in open source on Django and the excitement on that, like that wasn't a project I founded. It was just something I found at the right time and threw a bunch of effort into and ended up becoming a member of the core team. The joy there was not in being the person who created it. It was in hearing the stories of somebody else who had done the work or collaborating with someone who was new to the industry and getting them to a point where they've developed a major feature in this web framework that then they can have exactly the same story and they can go off and talk about someone who's using their work. So yeah, the transition from, in a sense, it was kind of the, almost the having to create the project was an inconvenience before I could get to the point of having other people work on it with me. Open source really is a community. The whole thing is built around people working together for a greater good. And that's the part of open source that really appeals to me as a developer and as a contributor. It's the thing that Keep or when I wasn't being working on it full time, kept me working on it on weekends. Is that being part of that community and hoping to build something bigger that everyone could potentially use? What's well, hard for you as a maintainer? Struggling when you don't see progress. Like in particular, before I was getting paid to work on it full time, just that: Am I literally howling at the moon here? Is this ever going to go anywhere? Am I ever going to be able to get traction? Getting Python working on iOS and Android is not a small project. 
And there have definitely been times where it's, why am I even bothering to do this? I'm never going to get traction. So that is difficult. Beware in particular is in a weird kind of uncanny valley where the principal market that we're targeting are people who are not stupid by any stretch of the imagination, but are not platform experts. You know, they're not iOS developers and Android experts and Mac OS and Windows and GTK experts. They are capable and they are smart and they usually have extraordinary domain knowledge outside of computer programming, but they're not software engineers necessarily. And the skill set that is necessary to develop Beware is very much not that. And so there is this uncomfortable gap between the set of skills that you need to use the tools, or at least that I would like to be pitching it to a set of people who have a particular set of skills, and the set of skills of the people that you need to actually to make the toolkit better. And finding those maintainers is difficult. And I guess by extension of that is then also, if you spend like most open source stuff or almost all open source stuff that's done on Beware is volunteered effort. You find someone, they're incredibly enthusiastic, you work with them, you provide a detailed onboarding experience, you try to get them up to speed, you get them to their first commit, you get them to their first contribution, and then they disappear. And then you have to rinse and repeat all over again for the next person. Is that kind of that, how many times do I need to do this before I find the one live person who's going to hang around long-term and be that force multiplier so that they then go and onboard the next person, I guess. Ever played around with having expectation setting for that? Like saying, hey, if I'm going to keep working with you. I want you to be here for like a year or two. I have thought about that. And I've got some ideas I'm kicking around in the back of my head that might manifest into something eventually. But the thing that's always makes me feel weird about it is like, I can't hire someone. So this isn't a job. Like if you're a volunteer, you're volunteering. I can't tell you that you have to do X hours a week because I'm not paying for your time. So that kind of balance between what is a reasonable ask of someone when they're just volunteering versus what is reasonable from the perspective of someone like I am putting time into making sure to helping onboard you as a potential maintainer, what is reasonable in that ask? That is definitely a an open question that I don't know we've got good community expectations around. In the past six months, have you done anything different with being a maintainer and onboarding new people and figuring out governance where you feel like it's working? You're just really excited about it? I don't know that I've made any changes in the last six months that have made any major changes. We have done a lot more effort around trying to document the onboarding process, document things, the path towards, this is the list of things we'd like you to work on. This is the list of, this is how you get onboarded. We have done a lot of work on trying to smooth that path. If only because that is something we've found in the past. Like The more you can remove every possible obstacle to someone getting that first contribution, the more likely they are to contribute, not necessarily more likely to hang around long-term, but there's getting them to that first contribution is at least something. What are you looking forward to in the next six months? So I've just come back from PyCon US and one of the big wins out of that was presenting at the Language Summit, sort of the annual, one of the annual meetings of the team that actually manages the language and the most invested people in contributing to the language. And we sort of came out of that with a provisional approval to push for iOS and Android to be officially supported platforms in CPython as a a language implementation for like the 3.13 cycle, which will be the end of next year. Obviously, still a lot of work to be done, still a lot of details to be worked out, but at least we've sort of got an unofficial or as official as it gets at the moment anyway, nod from 
the language team that this is something that we definitely want to do. And if you'll just turn the handle, then we'll see what we can do about making it happen. So we're finally getting to the point where some of the things that I've been grinding at for the last nine years are now actually turning into fruition, which is a nice, nice development. That is a nice development. Nine years is a long time in open source. So that's really great. Yeah. Where can people read about your work and your plans and what you're doing? So most of the details we've got can be found off of our website, beware.org, B-W-E-W-A-R-E.org. There is a blog there, which we publish monthly status updates and quarterly roadmaps of where we're headed. There are also links there to Mastodon and our Discord forum for online chats. Other than that, everything is on GitHub. So it's all github.org slash beware. A great run of projects under there that you can all tagged for first-time contributors if you are so inclined. And Russell is available on Mastodon at Freakboard3742 at cloudisland.nz. Russell, it's been great having you on. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciated it. Best of luck with everything. It sounds like you're taking the right approach and you're already in a really sweet spot to enable that. So I'm just excited. This is one of those interviews where I'm like, oh, cool. This person gets it. They know what they're doing. So Russell, thank you so much. My great pleasure. Thanks for having me. Listeners, we have another podcast coming on after this one. We're trying to do two podcasts in a row for this special maintainer month thing. So do stick around and thank you so much. Hello and welcome to Sustain, the podcast where we talk about open source sustainability for the long haul. Who are we? Where do we come from? Where are we going? How do you pronounce that thing? I'm of Richard Litauer. And this is part of the Maintainer Month podcast series we're releasing for the month of May, partially in collaboration with GitHub. Very excited to have some developers to talk to you about their experience of being maintainers. Our developer that we're interviewing today is Uriel Ophir. Uriel, hello. How are you doing? Hi. Good afternoon from Israel. Thank you so much for being here. This is great. I wish I could pronounce your name correctly. Thank you for allowing me to use my normal accent. It does help. There's another thing I want to ask, which is you are the founder and manager of an Israeli open source community, Ma'akaf. Tell me about Ma'akaf and whether I pronounce that correctly too. Okay. Now I said it in the Hebrew accent, uh, Ma'akaf. This is uh, how we call it in our Hebrew accent. Well, acronymous, acronyms, when you have the letters that have the main, it's acronyms. In Hebrew, it's acronyms of job seekers, open source. Like four words. We have the four letters. Markov, so it's acronyms of job seekers, open source, and I think to take it uh, to English, uh, JSOS won't sound uh, good. So it's Markov. So in our community, we have a goal to help uh, people that are looking for their next job while they are in this process of searching for their next job, uh, help them to contribute to open source. And then it also helps them to improve their way to their next job because it's a good networking and it's a good resume if you have a pull request that was accepted by a company. So it's something good to put in your resume. And it's a good atmosphere to be when you are this time of life, when you search for your next job, you can be very lonely. But with our community, you have a very good atmosphere and very good people that helps you keep coding, keep getting better, keep looking forward to your next job. So this is the main idea of the community. And we are welcome everyone. You don't need to seek for your next jobs to join our community. But when we are talking out, we are reaching for people that are looking for their next job because I think for them, 
we can have a lot of value. But eventually it's open source community where we gather together people that are interested to contribute to open source. And in the other side, maintainers of projects. And we do network between them, connect containers and contributors. Oh, and it's really cool. We have the magic of open source. It's just cool when it happens. <laughs> Tell me about why you started that. Were you looking for a job and you're like, I wish I had other people to help me out? Well, I already had a job, but my journey to find my first job, now I'm in my first job. It's my first year as a programmer Congrats. in a company, but it was so hard. And I always thought, how could it be better? And eventually I got to this idea of a markup that it's not easy, but it's possible to find open source projects that are not too much hard. Like, no, I'm only a junior. I think that to contribute to React or Node.js or Linux, it will be too much hard for me, tough too much. And for other juniors. But then I heard about, there is a Israeli high, uh, high tech company, startup company, Monday. I'm sure many people in the world suffer from their project management software, Monday. And I found out that they have open source a project of their React components. So I'm sure that a junior programmer can do something in such projects. It's only React components. It's not something too complicated. And then I said, okay, if I found this project, I'm sure that I can find other projects. So I started by maintaining README. I connected to our old README that started to gather information about Israeli open source projects. I started to do pull requests and to update this old README. And then... Liran Tal, he is a maintainer of this project. He added me to the management of this project of the README. And then came Jonathan and he took this README and from this README, he made a dynamic website where you can search by language, by technology, and to search the project by their last comment to see that they are updated. And it's a really cool website that we have now and it helps very much to people to search for Israeli projects. Uh, it's much easier than to look by yourself on a long, long readme. Tell me about the size of your community. How many job seekers do you have at the moment? Well, I don't ask anyone if he is a job seeker, but <laughs> uh, we're mostly active in Discord. And in our Discord, mm. we have something like 350 people. And I must say, it's a new community. Only three months we are on air. Wow. Uh, so it's growing. Always more people are coming. I'm sure that if you will talk with me two months from now, we'll be 500. I, I don't doubt about that. But in this point of time, we have in the community 350 people. We have four projects that are active. It means that they have channels and every member of the community can ask, hey, what you are doing in this project? It's really cool mm -hmm. projects. I want to give the first one, the first example, the, the first one that started to maintain a project with our community. It's a personal project of Chris uh, Mazes. Roy is a programmer that did it by himself. He is a senior programmer. And mm. he always wanted that someone will help him. But it's hard to market your project and find people to contribute to your project. But when he connected to our community, where we have so many people that want to contribute to open source, this is the magic of open source. It was so cool to see how from zero pull requests, he now have more than 30, I think, and it's only a month. And people took his projects from vanilla JS to React and added dark mode, really cool stuff. And it's all open source and people from the community, a good atmosphere, just amazing. I really like it. 
I like that a lot. What's cool about that as well is that it's helping connect people who want to have skills so they can add it to their resume with projects, with maintainers. So it's helping ease maintainers. It's like everyone wins, right? How many different maintainers have asked for help from your community so far? You just mentioned one. I'm just curious if other people leverage the strength of your community to improve their projects. Okay. As I said, we are just in the beginning of a way. Yeah, for now, we have four projects, but I'm sure that people will hear about it, about our community and more maintainers will come. We are going to have a meetup on 20 to June. In the meetup, we are planning to do a physical meeting and to connect mm. maintainers with a crowd. We are doing a list of maintainers. We just started to market it. So as I told you, it's the beginning, but it's so cool. We have now four projects. One of the projects is site of the community that I talked about it earlier. Yep. So it's cool that we have a site and the site itself is open source. And the chess mazes is also is the oldest and they have many pull requests. We have a new one with the Checkmarks company. They're having an open source project of Chrome extension that is checking for vulnerabilities, NPM packages that you will just be on the NPM site and they will give you more data about package. Mm. Or even if you just have a link to an NPM package, you can see more data about it with this extension. It started only this week and you already had a few pull requests from people in the community. So it's working. It's just cool to see it working. This is what I can say. I'm sure for now we have four projects, but I'm sure we are going to have much more projects in our community. A lot of open source authors start a project with a cool idea and then have to hand it off to maintainers or try to keep the fire going, even though they've moved on to something else. I'm curious about for you, a lot of the times starting up a job seeking group or a community of people who are all the same level becomes difficult to maintain when you get a job or you raise your level. So I'm curious, I know it's still early, but what are you going to do a year from now when you've had a job for a year and how will you be involved with the community to help out? Well, I must say that I started that community when I have my job. It wasn't a job seeker. So I can tell you that I, by myself, I don't do a really big pull request and a lot of coding because coding takes a lot of time. And I have nine hours a day that I'm coding for my company. So it's enough. Yep. No, no more coding <laughs> for a day. But I really like to manage the community and I'm kind of product manager. Like we have the website, so... I didn't code there. I'm a maintainer there and I didn't add a code, but did uh, give tasks and ideas how the website can be better. So one of my concepts in the community is that to give people the opportunity to give ideas by themselves and to do in the community to initiate, I think, and be active in the community. I'll give you an example. I understood that People are not coming to the Discord community regularly. They don't open Discord because they don't use it usually. So mm. we have 350 people in the Discord, but they don't really look and don't update what is happening there because they just don't open their Discord. So I opened WhatsApp group that only admins can write there. It's only for information, not for discussions. And there we give updates what is going on in the community. So you don't need to open your Discord to know the most important data about our community. And then I just wrote this idea in the community and I asked, can someone do it? Because I have too much things to do and it will be hard for me to maintain this update on WhatsApp. And someone come and is doing the updates. He do it much better than if I would do it. 
And this is uh, how it works. For myself, I take only the really most important tasks that we must do to get the community forward. But we have much more tasks that can be done and help the community. So I just offer people, I have an idea. Maybe you have an idea. And if you initiate and you come and want to help, okay, I'll give you the roles. I'll give you the authority to make changes by yourself. I must say what I'm checking with people that they are serious. This is the most important thing about open source, in my opinion, to be serious. You don't know to need much, but you need to take a task and be totally responsible for that. Like if someone tells me I'm going to do something and then I need to catch him and to check what he's doing with that. So I tell him, okay, thank you for wanting to help. I understand that it's not for you because if I give him someone task in open source, so the only choice is that he's doing that or telling me I can't do that. There is no choice, there is no option that I need to check with him if he's doing that or not. So. And if you are serious, so you can tell me, I'm trying to do that, but there is a problem. So I can contact him with someone and can help him with the problem. But be serious. And this is for me the most important thing that I want to see from members in the community, that they will be proactive and they will be accurate with what they're planning to do and what they are taking on themselves. And we have it and it's really, for now, the first and the most mature project is just mazes and it's just cool to see what is going on there. And I'm sure that we will see that in uh, projects that will join us in the future. How people are contributing and such a good environment and the atmosphere. I really like it. How do you help encourage participants who may have a bit of trepidation or fear about contributing and may not know how to ask, hey, I have a problem? A good question. One of the good ideas I had with this community is that we're doing open source party. What is open source party? We just come together to a Discord video meeting. And there, let's say that I'm maintaining this meeting and I'm saying who will talk and what is going on and managing the discussion. And it's very simple, just every people, and I'm trying to give more space to newcomers and people that are just starting with open source, but not only them, everyone is welcome. And each one says, okay, I'm Moshe, it's an Israeli name, I'm Moshe and what I know about open source is ABC and I want to ask you, what do you think can be my next step? That's all. Mm-hmm. Everyone come and say, each one say, this is me, this is what I know, what can be my next step in open source? So if he doesn't know nothing, I send him to YouTube videos that were in Hebrew, so it will be easy for him because uh, maybe you notice, but English is not my uh, first language. It will be much more easier for me to talk uh, in Hebrew. So we have Hebrew videos about how to understand what is going on in GitHub and how to contribute to open source projects. And if he knows how to work with GitHub, but he's looking for a project, so I asked him, what is your knowledge? What technologies? And maybe you can look in our site and find site and technology and Israel projects that you can contact. It's enough with five minutes to each one. And just try to answer the question, what can be his next step? And the discussion can also get on on the Discord uh, text channel afterwards. That sounds great. I love that. It sounds like a helpful way of making it easier for people and also having fun. I think that's excellent. Where can people join this group? We'll put the links. The group is in Hebrew, so it's pretty problematic for you. So we have a translator inside Discord, so people talking English can understand a bit what is going on. Most of the activity is in Hebrew and doesn't translate. 
And what I want to say is that I really want people to contact me around the world. And the idea is scalable. You can do what we did in Israel in your place, and I will be very happy to help you with that. We have a plan to do international open source party. I will tweet about it. And I have a profile in Twitter that is in English. This is my international profile. So I think the best way is that people will contact me in Twitter because our community is in Hebrew. So to contact directly to the community, I don't think it's really productive. But I'm on Twitter and they're writing in English. And I hope that the ideas we got here in our community in Israel Someone will take them and then someone will do such a community. Or maybe there is already a community that we can contact. And we need only one community from English-speaking country. And then there will be the international community in English that everyone can <laughs> go to there. But also, I already talked with someone from India and someone from Nigeria. And programmer from Nigeria, she took an issue on our Israeli website. A small thing, she's a beginner, just to add a link to YouTube in our website, but it's a programmer from Nigeria. It's just crazy open source world. <laughs> this is what I can say. That's great. Thank you so much. Your Twitter profile is O-F-I-R-U-R-I-E-L. Ophir Uriel. Yeah. Uriel, thank you so much for coming on this podcast. It's been absolutely great. I wish you the best of luck in your community. And yeah, thanks for doing that. And thanks for coming on. Thank you for listening. Listeners, if you enjoyed this podcast, please go ahead and look at more. You can find podcasts at the same OSS.org is where all of our episodes are, as well as the show notes for this episode. If you have any thoughts, you can send an email to podcast at sustainoss.org. That'll go to all the hosts. And we'd love to hear any comments as well as any other guests we should have on. We also have a discourse at sustainoss.org if you want to go and talk about things. A thread will be put for this conversation where anyone can look and make comments. People rarely do, but I think they should. So maybe that could be you. And also please like this podcast and talk about it with other people. We don't do any advertising, so it's all word of mouth. So the more you do, the more listeners we have, the more we can have conversations like this in the future. And with that, have a good day.